0: Welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. I appreciate you for tuning in. And I think we have a very stimulating show for you today, as usual. But today's episode features part one of a conversation with Rachel Bush, who is a yoga teacher and Ayurvedic practitioner, and a friend of mine, and a really clear thinker and a really clear teacher. Now, I'm not in the yoga community or the yoga path, but I have a lot of friends in that world and I just, I wanted to get some of that voice onto the podcast so more people could hear about some of the history and some of the core ideas. And I think when you hear Rachel speak, she'll bring some potent, clear insights right to the surface and uh, to me, that's the sign of a great teacher. So without further ado, ah, a little further ado, I wanted to give one plug to an NPR show. And this is a great show I listened to just last night. So this is the June 16th episode, June 16th, 2020, episode of Fresh Air with Terry Gross. She interviewed University of Minnesota epidemiologist Michael Osterholm. And I thought it was just a very wonderful, apolitical, Completely apolitical and very scientific discussion from a a lifelong professional scientist and really clear understanding and explanation of how he views the current corona situation. So if you want some calm, reflective, rational discussion, apolitical discussion of corona things, worth tuning into Fresh Air. You just Google Fresh Air, June 17th, 2020 episode really worth a listen in my opinion. One other logistical note before we jump into this conversation is that last week, the email I sent out for episode 83 ended up in a lot of people's promotion or junk folders. I'm not exactly sure why it got sent that way, but you might have missed an email for Weather of the Mind 83 last week's show on joy and grief, which was a pretty solid, solid show worth listening to. Okay, now without further ado, let's get in there and have a conversation.
1: I'm going to put my hoodie up too.
0: Yeah, get comfortable, you know, you got to be in the zone. You got water, you, if you need water, you got we some got water the there, you got teas. Okay, I think I'm ready. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm delighted to be sitting here with my friend and co-conspirator I don't know if that's the right word we haven't really conspired in that much brainstorm buddy if nothing else just like you know I've got a few awesome friends in town who I meet up with every week or two and we just drop knowledge that's, you that's are awesome. one of those people Aww, recharge the batteries always give me feedback on the podcast this is my friend Rachel I don't remember your last name oh yeah Rachel Bush <laughs> I just Rachel you know you forget. you don't really need a last name Rachel and Rachel Rachel is a yoga teacher and Ayurvedic practitioner. So I'm gonna ask you to jump in and just I'm gonna shut up and let you talk about what you do in that under the guise of a yoga teacher and Ayurvedic practitioner. Sure. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. You had said earlier that you didn't feel that describing me as a yoga teacher was adequate. So oh yeah. I wondered what you think yoga is.
0: Okay, well yeah, before we get into the well I would say that I've described you as, oh, she's a yoga teacher, but so much more. And then I felt bad. I mean, I'm giving you a compliment, but I don't want to be insulting a whole, um, you know, industry or a whole field of teachers, yoga teachers. But I guess my feeling when I say you're a yoga teacher and so much more, when we think of yoga, we often think of physical and You know, I've been a world religion teacher before, and I remember teaching about yoga and telling people it's so much more than that. And it's absolutely a philosophical, old philosophical system that connects body and spirit. But when yoga in the the United States and perhaps in other places where it's in this modern iteration and explosion in the last 20 or 30 years, I think it's heavily focused on physical and physical fitness. And that is awesome. But for you... I feel like you're always connecting it to practical philosophy. And this show, The Weather of the Mind, is all about practical. Practical philosophy, practical skills. That's what I love. So that's that's where we resonate. So I like to... But I feel like you always have a very clear way of sharing your ideas. So I just... How is that? Is that close to uh, guessing or estimating? uh,
1: Yeah, I'd say so. So um, the way I understand yoga is that it's a set of practices. Set of practices. And that these practices can be done by anyone, um, regardless of religion, regardless of education, age. And that these very practical uh, practices can be applied in life so that um, we can know ourselves more deeply and in that way have a happier life. And so for you, talking about mental health and emotional health mm-hmm. I feel that yoga is just an obvious set of practices
0: so what do you mean by that like I mean most people have a sense that oh if you're doing yoga practice that means you're sitting and standing and stretching and having deep breathing is that a, is that a good start is that a pretty is that is that what a yoga practice is
1: so there are many different schools.
0: Mm. Of yeah. yoga, because yoga is how many years old? I mean, you know, I there mean, are different estimates,
1: but thousands, three thousand, five thousand, and this goes like, back to yeah, India the Indian subcontinent. subcontinent mm-hmm. Although some people would even say it's from Africa. Okay, um, so it depends on who you're talking to, but definitely a big part of it is from India, yeah. and um, anything that that is that old has multiple philosophical paths that you might wander down. And so, what it looks like to practice yoga can really depend based on who you're studying with and what philosophy you're studying. All paths of yoga are paths to freedom.
0: Paths to freedom. Yoga as a path to freedom. Freedom from what? Suffering. Freedom from suffering. It sounds very Buddhist.
1: Yeah. So that's um, a lot of Buddhist philosophy actually comes also from the Indian subcontinent. Exactly. There's a lot going on in the Ganges back in the day. That's right. Um, And so this these practices, these paths towards freedom from suffering, they that's why it's so practical because everybody suffers. Everybody has a bad day. If yeah. you're going to live in a body, you're going to get sick. You're going to have pain. Um, you're going to sometimes feel hungry. Mm-hmm. You're going to have all sorts of things happen. And so the practices of yoga include, but are not limited to, Asana, which are the movements. which are Asana what? means the physical movements? Yeah, and so that's what okay. most people know when asana. they think of yoga. Okay. And that's what gets most people in the door. So mm-hmm. like I'll joke around and say a lot of my students initially come to me because they have shoulder pain. But what we don't put on the flyer is that then, you know, it's going to completely transform the way that they think about themselves in their life. Mm-hmm. That's the potential. So asana is just one practice. Meditation is another really central practice.
0: And that's focused on the breathing.
1: Med- meditation can be focused on the breath but there, there are so many styles of meditation so that's another thing you could spend your mm-hmm. entire life learning about meditation and learning different styles of meditation um, before you even get to meditation two other skills of yoga one is concentration I mean this is huge mm-hmm. especially in our world that's so distracting and we have our cell phones where we can communicate with five different people, different ways, all at one time. Um, So
0: concentration is kind of akin to focus. Being able to focus on something. Focus your attention. Mm.
1: This is a skill of yoga. Mm -hmm. And not just focusing our attention, but then absorbing our attention is another skill of yoga. And specifically, absorbing our attention inside. Initially, when we focus our attention inside, so like this will be one of the main inhibiting factors towards meditation. Can people, you
0: do a, can we do a, for example, as you explain sure, Yeah. yeah we'll so be, like
1: when people sit down for meditation, the first thing that usually happens is mm-hmm. that they have a million thoughts. Right. And like if we sit
0: down right now, we're like, Right. we, like we can do it right seconds. now. What would you say to me? If I was your student.
1: Um, you know, first I'd have you uncross your legs and put both feet on the floor and right. make sure that you're sitting comfortably. Sit comfortably. And like uncrossed. Close, close your eyes. Mm-hmm and bring your awareness to your breath. So that's focusing your attention. And as you focus your attention on your breath, I want you to notice when your attention goes somewhere else. Are you having any thoughts?
0: I'm feeling pretty, I'm, I'm able to focus on my breath right now. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I but it, it, just making the intention and sitting, especially with somebody else, it is it is calming. Sure. Sometimes I think it's a little bit tricky doing some of these exercises on your own and there's something to be said about coming together with, some, with another person or with some other people and sharing that experience.
1: Well, it's tricky to do on your own because I think what happens for a lot of us is when we put our attention inside, there's a lot going on there, especially if we haven't been putting our attention inside. If we've been very busy... And we haven't been addressing our feelings, we haven't been addressing our needs, we haven't been asking ourselves what's important to us, what's my sense of direction, Mm -hmm. where do I place value? A lot of these questions that you ask on the podcast, it's kind of almost like we have this cue of unresolved energy inside the body. So when we put our attention inside, there's a lot going on and if you don't have tools To, first of all, understand what's going on inside, then it can be very difficult to focus your attention there and to really know what comes next. I think for most people, they just have anxiety and kind of like freak out and then say, oh, I can't meditate. So we have to learn before we even have an experience of meditation, because meditation is not even necessarily doing something. It's an experience that we have.
0: It's an observing experience, is it?
1: That's one way that it's described as, as being a witness to consciousness, to your own consciousness. But there's also these qualities of focus and absorption. And so these are skills that you can learn. Another skill is also pranayama. Before we get to that, I get the
0: focus, but can you explain the absorption?
1: So, focusing your attention, you can focus inside, but you can also focus outside. So, you might focus your attention on the breath or on Mm -hmm. something called a mantra, which might be something you repeat inside Mm -hmm. to yourself, but you might also say the mantra out loud. Or you might focus on an image. Or a flame you may focus on someone else's voice or the sound of an instrument so there are different practices um, something called kirtan which is a call and response musical event which is a type of meditation and so where you know you may have one person playing an instrument or you might even have a whole band and those people who are playing the instrument are practicing absorption of being totally absorbed in not just playing their instrument but playing their instrument with pure love and devotion mm. so that they can share something with the people who are there practicing the call and response so that's very different than just like understanding how to play an instrument technically and playing it very well
0: what do you when you say with devotion what do you mean by devotion
1: so their attention would be completely focused not necessarily on their thoughts yeah but on a certain type of what we call bhav or feeling that arises inside so like anybody who's an artist who would identify themselves as an artist you know when you get in the zone like do you ever feel like you're in the zone like when you're working on the podcast or like earlier when you were cleaning right hmm. you were like in the zone yeah you know it's a so feeling in life yeah and so as a as someone who is performing in this example kirtan that it wouldn't necessarily be about ooh, I'm gonna play so good like, these people are gonna like, look how fancy I can do that. You know, it's to be in a state of love in like really physically in your body and to hold that state of love and devotion so that offering your music comes from this place of wanting to connect and to share um, rather than to be recognized, which I mean, it's not, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, um, to want to have people see how good you are at something or to be recognized for your talents, but... This, would, this is what I mean by being absorbed in a certain type of feeling state that then you can share.
0: And I think when you're when you're singing with others or playing music with others and kind of lose yourself in that space or playing sports with others and lose yourself in that space, it seems like it, it recharges some batteries you don't even realize are drained.
1: That's right. That's the way
0: I feel after I sing. Even if I sing with, with the music and practice at home with my own, but especially with others, there's something... It's like going for a nature hike. There's something, you're engaging in. you're getting out of your, maybe just getting, it's almost like we're ego fatigued because there's so much, you got to feed yourself, you got to do your laundry, you got to worry about your taxes, you, 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 I, 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 even if you don't want to, society thrusts it upon us. That's right. So and you get a break from this ego fatigue where you can just kind of dwell or swim or flow in that space of meditation or singing mm-hmm. seems to be very recharging. Sure.
1: And actually one of my teachers, uh, Douglas Brooks, one of my favorite things that he said is the problem with our ego is not that it's too big, but that it's not big enough. And so yoga, the word, it means to yoke or to connect. And you can think of this connection being in, in multiple ways, but one is with the individual, so your personal experience and the universal.
0: Connecting the universal with the personal. That's part of the yoga.
1: Right. So that the ego, if I look at myself and I say, who am I? The problem with the ego being not too big, but not big enough. Who am I? I am made of the same energy that everything in the universe is made of. This is a teaching of yoga. And so when we connect to ourselves in this way as made of stardust or as energy that can never be created or destroyed, then we understand our life as this unique opportunity to be embodied. And that when we do something like sing or when we have an asana practice or a meditation practice or any practice that really helps us to get into that flow or that zone, Mm. then we're yoking. We're connecting to ourselves as something so much more than just this individual who has taxes to pay or a house to clean or, you know, not that those things aren't important, but to remember um, our true nature.
0: It's like when you look at a forest and you have like you see a tree standing there and like that individual tree is standing there, but then you go below the surface and you see this we- interlaced web of roots that are communicating between trees about, kind of kind of like that kind of like going deeper to some That's right. level of interconnection that we forget. You had, before we were talking before we turned the recorder on, you talked about yoking X and Y together. What were the X and the Y yoking together as well?
1: The. Sacred and the mundane.
0: Okay, so you have the individual and the and the universal, mm-hmm. and then you have the sacred and the mundane. So, can you expand on that?
1: Well, and you could also say the mind and the body.
0: So, there's a lot of kind of transcending yeah. these two right. supposed differences and kind of unifying a synthesis mm-hmm. of sorts.
1: Yeah, that's right. The sacred and the mundane being everyday life and that which um, truly inspires you. Mm. So that invocation that I showed you a couple of weeks ago, so I showed uh, Doug some Sanskrit a couple of weeks ago, which is a language um, that most of the yogic texts will come through in is Sanskrit, although now it's getting translated. But the first line was Om Namah Shivaya Gudave. And this Namah being a, a prostration or a bow, and so I had asked you, what is it in your life that would actually inspire you to not just bow from the waist but to fully lay down and to have that sense of sacredness. Oh, I
0: do that in nature all the time. I mean, I'm at the beach in the winter or I go to the woods and I like I like I like to kneel down and kiss the earth.
1: And what does that feel like in your body?
0: Like connecting to the source. Again, I just feel like we're all running around ego fatigued and we just need places to just connect and re- recharge. Singing with others or exercise often gets me in that way. Or cooking a nice meal and sharing it, like some of these core human things that get us kind of out of our out of ourselves and, and dwelling in something something larger and wider. is just good for the good for the spirit, good for the soul. So when I bow and, and kiss the ground, it's it's that's the kind of that's the spirit, that reverential spirit.
1: That's right. And so then practices of yoga support us to bring that. Reverential spirit into our mundane everyday life.
0: Mmm. What tasty food for thought that was. Finding the sacred and the mundane. Yoking, yoking, yoga as yoking, connecting, connecting that sacred and the mundane, connecting that mind and the body. And what Rachel said, she defines sacred as being in that inspired place that which inspires us getting in that feeling getting that mindset even if it's when you're doing the dishes and singing to yourself so yoking connecting connecting the universal with the individual with the sacred with the mundane the mind and the body kind of transcending these dichotomies and forming a pleasant synthesis well that was a great great episode In my humble opinion. That was a great conversation. Very rich. Again, RachelBushYoga.com. Drop her a line. Drop me a line. WeatherOfTheMind.org. Love hearing from you. Love the exchange. Appreciate you. Remember, let's rely on our foundations. Stay hydrated. Get that blood pumping a little bit each day. Try to work on cooking some healthy meals. Uh, what I forget, sleep, sleep, figure out ways to truly relax, relax. We got we to gotta keep those stress levels down and we can't feel too lonely out there. Know that you're connected in many ways to many people. You're connected right now to me as far as I'm concerned. All right, much love, keep it positive, and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.